0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: There is no place like The Cube. Family. Welcome to episode four of Black HIV in the South, How Did We Get Here? I'm Anna Deshawn, your favorite queer radio personality, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dwayne Kramer. We all family these days. What's going on, Dwayne? (laughs) Hey, I'm
2: doing good, Anna. It's so good to hear your voice and to see you.
1: Yes, all the things. And I'm really excited about this episode in particular. We've spent episodes one through three really talking about how we got here the stigma, right, the homophobia, the racism. But today, in this episode, we get the opportunity to talk about the solutions. How do we get to zero, right? And I'm excited to talk about that because I do think it's possible. I think it's possible. And I think there's organizations that have laid out a framework and I'm excited to share that with the people.
2: Absolutely, I'm I'm excited about talking about the solutions and and really highlighting uh, some of the um, black excellence, really, that, that's occurring in our communities on a local level, and in response to HIV and educating our people and coming up with strategies that every single one of us can participate in in one way or another to make a difference.
1: By now, I know DaFINA has to be one of your favorite voices on this podcast. And I'm so grateful that I have been in conversation with her as she is the executive director for the Southern AIDS Coalition, but also just a true, genuine advocate for the people. Like for real, I've seen it for myself, having the chance to talk to her about how we actually get to zero new infections in the South and what has to happen to break down the barriers that continue to stigmatize HIV in our communities. This right here, this right here is magic. Take a listen to what Daphina had to say. Well, one, a lot of people don't even know it's still an issue. I mean, folks think that that
3: already happened. People still get HIV. AIDS is still a thing. I mean, it's out of sight, out of mind for so many folks in our communities. And so I think that's part of it. And then when it is top of mind, there's a lot of misinformation. So people think, well, that's a problem for black folks that do that. That don't have nothing to do with me. They over there with the H.I. you know. So there's all these misconceptions and stigma around who is has to deal with that, and who's worthy of being fought for, right? Like this whole idea of like which black folks do we care about, and we see that show up in a lot of spaces. I mean, we can start talking about our, our, our faith spaces. That's a whole nother thing, but I think that's part of it, and. The misinformation, long-held stigma, people being unaware that it's still an issue that must be confronted in our communities and that people need to be loved on and supported as they receive an HIV diagnosis and, and 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 want to thrive and live a long, wonderful life with an HIV diagnosis. You know, I think all of that, I mean, all of those things are barriers. And, you know, there has to be more to the conversation than just HIV too. If HIV could be put in the context of just the full range of health inequities in Black people in the South, whether we wanna talk about heart disease or a million other things, it's the why, right? And so um, I think because HIV has been so heavily stigmatized, it's really hard to put it in the context of, well, let's just talk about health. Let's talk about what diseases are most disproportionately impacting Black folks. And those just aren't that we we just don't typically include HIV in those conversations because because that's your fault.
1: Getting away from the it's your fault, right? That in and of itself is how we get to zero. This is part of our solutions is destigmatizing HIV and the words that we say and the language we use is part of that. And so getting away from the clean versus dirty that you were talking about earlier, Dwayne, and getting away from it's your fault, you know, being having unprotected sex or being a drug, all these things, but none of them are isolated. They're all connected as part of this larger system, you know, and so I love how Daphina says that. 100%.
2: And you know, like you just said, the real issue here is understanding that most of what we're talking about when we talk about HIV is the shaming and the blaming of black and brown folks for acquiring HIV. That's stigma. And it's nobody's fault that you catch a virus. It's no one's fault that they caught COVID-19. It's nobody's fault that they catch the flu quite frankly, to take it to that simple level. However, when it comes surrounding HIV and so these other viruses, it's about the shaming and the blaming. And, um, you know, we, we do need to figure out a new approach to fighting HIV and using a racial justice approach to doing that. Because quite frankly, you know, AIDS, Inc. has become a machine of its own. And it always doesn't have a connection to the people living with HIV. Okay. So it's a self-fulfilled operation here. We're like, okay, volunteer, do an AIDS walk, do this. There are Ryan White planning councils in most jurisdictions and cities, and those are supposed to include HIV-positive folks that can give input to the solutions in their community. And that's a really positive thing. However, the reality is that most of the folks in the decision-making around HIV and AIDS are not black or brown folks. So that's where we need to continue to turn the tide and why people like DAFINA and the Southern AIDS Coalition are so incredible, important, and essential to bringing HIV infection rates to zero. There's so many different ways people can participate, but we have to look at this through using a racial justice approach to it and to commit with strategies, campaigns and initiatives that include us, look like us, so that we can relate to the messages that are being sent.
1: And part of that solution is coming out of the National AIDS Memorial and SAC and being funded by Gilead called Change the Pattern. And Change the Pattern for me is absolutely brilliant. And how you all are approaching it makes so much sense to me. <laughs> Let's see what Daphina had to say about Change the Pattern and how it is part of the solutions of how we continue to destigmatize HIV in Black communities. The AIDS Memorial Quilt has been
3: around for 35 years. That's a long time. And it's touted as the largest public art project or public art display in the world. You're talking about 57 miles of quilts if you lay it all out, right? Thousands and thousands of lives captured and remembered in this fabric. And it's such a powerful demonstration. And I'm appreciative of this partnership because it also notes a recognition of who is not present in the quilt because the quilt does not um, capture um, the number.
4: McDonald's is not new to chicken.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
3: lives, locks to HIV and AIDS-related complications in the southern United States, and more specifically, black and brown folks. So if you lay the quilt out those 57 miles, less than two miles look like us. Less than two miles reflect Black lives, brown lives lost to HIV and AIDS. And that's a problem. Um, but again, we want to be solutions oriented. And so change the pattern. Our partnership with the National AIDS Memorial is made possible with resources from Gilead Sciences. It just calls that out and says, look, something's got to change. And I love the name because it's like, we got to change the pattern of the quilt. You know, communities of color are disproportionately impacted by HIV, just like we're disproportionately impacted by almost everything else, particularly in the South. And we need to name who we've lost. And it also is change the pattern around laws and policies and practices that allow this type of travesty and inequity to continue. So I'm so appreciative of the partnership because it is a chance to call folks into conversations around HIV and AIDS, particularly in Southern communities. It's an opportunity to provide space for families and loved ones to grieve, to acknowledge that they lost someone to AIDS-related complications. And when we do these programs, what we've already seen is people saying, we never talked about the fact that we lost him to AIDS. We said it was pneumonia. We said it was cancer. And so we're seeing families be healed through this process of acknowledging the legacy and beauty of people in their their whole selves, inclusive of their struggles around an HIV and AIDS diagnosis. And so that's why this is important to me, because there's just so many layers to what it can accomplish. People think they're there to help make a pretty quilt. And it really is about making the community pretty and having these conversations that are really hard and for people who are living with HIV to see that they are loved and supported, not just in death, but in life um, by these conversations happening publicly.
1: So Dwayne, as the Quilt Community Engagement Manager for the National AIDS Memorial, what does the Change the Pattern initiative mean to you? You mean, you've been there since the beginning of this initiative. What does it mean to you?
2: Well, First of all, I'm, I am so blessed to be a small part of this incredible project focused on the South and our family, and you know, black and brown folks. You know, change of pattern is, it is a call to action to end HIV in black and brown and LGBT communities across the South, and it's also a way for us to really a, to reimagine how we're going to bring an end to HIV. In these communities, and so as we go to each new community, we started in Jackson. You know, with the seven days of programming, uh, it included quilting workshops, educational forums, community forums. Um, you know, these were opportunities for people to, as Defina talked about, fellowship to learn and to engage with one another. And while people think they're coming to just look at pretty panels. You know, on a quilt or to sew some love, you know, by making new panels for people that they might know or might not know, there's a learning process. There's an awareness that happens. There are intergenerational conversations with folks that are sitting next to one another. You have transgender folks sitting next to heterosexual, you know, grandmothers and children and all kinds of things are happening that are just magical. We like to talk about quilt magic. A lot of these conversations, a lot of the education, a lot of what happens can't even be explained. But these are ways for us to go into each community and to different conferences and to tailor alongside with those local community activists, with those local organizations, arts organizations, Uh, senior organizations, youth organizations, trans organizations, political organizations. You know, it's just so much. It's it's not just a, a silo. We have all kinds of groups and organizations coming together to figure out events and opportunities for engagement that will apply to their community. And that's what's so great about changing the pattern. We're changing the pattern or they're changing the pattern in their own communities with things that are applicable to them.
1: And we can't keep having this conversation without hearing from Jada Harris, who is the program manager for the Call My Name initiative through the National AIDS Memorial. And Call My Name is really the beginnings of the Change the Pattern initiative. And it's an extension of the work Jada's been doing for so many years. And so let's hear from Jada around call my name and change the pattern. And so y'all can just hear how beautiful this work really is.
5: So in 2001, when I first came on board with the quilt, um, I really didn't have a firm grasp on the magnitude of what it is. I mean, it's 54 times, it's the largest piece of community folk art in the world but to actually be in a warehouse where it's 54 tons is a mammoth. And the phone rang. I'm in the warehouse. All this quilt is packed up in these what we call blue packs, and then the phone rang. And it's a young man from Eastern Carolina University who had just finished hosting a display, and he was returning his quilt, and he needed to get some information on how to do that and then he nervously said over the phone before we ended the call he said you know next time can you not send us a bunch of old white guys and i was like oh absolutely yeah sure and you know i didn't really know what he was talking about but i was alarmed then i went i got a phone with him and i looked in the database and i saw that what they did send him was a bunch of old white guys to you know this university for a display being hosted by this diverse community of students on campus. And that spinned me into a deep dive into our database to find out, well, what kind of quilt do we have? Do we have quilt that speaks to that community? And I found out that we really didn't have a whole lot of African-American quilt, or even Latino quilt all the marginalized communities were marginalized on the quilt and so that's really started the effort to put the call my name into place to try to go out in the community to the people and say there's a place for you on this quilt to memorialize your loved ones i don't have an exact number but there are several at least several dozen what we call blocks of quilt that have been made as a result of our call my name workshops and so we actually have enough quilt if we wanted to do an HBCU tour we do have enough quilt to do a substantial HBCU tour where we can actually have twenty twenty-five blocks of quilt that are primarily um, black and brown folk so that when we go to campuses, that the young people can see folk who look like them. That's how you make a difference. And so we tell these stories of the people, or the quilts, so people can see folks that some on the same path that they did. Everyone's, every demographic is on the quilt. There is no discrimination. Everybody is on there. But more importantly, in the black and brown communities, It's important that we actually see these people, see their names, see their faces on the quilt to match what's coming out of, say for like the CDC in terms of the numbers. It's still 1987 in the black community as far as what HIV and AIDS is doing in the black community.
2: What Jade is talking about, and that experience she had when that person said, "You just sent me all the, these white people. This this white quilt. It doesn't look like us. It doesn't reflect who we are. It's actually showing that you're not part of this," which continues to allow the virus to continue, and for the homophobia and stigma around HIV to present itself. Because, let's be one hundred percent here. The majority of the of those faces that she was talking about in the quilt are white gay men. And so today, the National AIDS Memorial has recognized that. And they've allowed us, Black people, to lead the charge in our communities to enact the change and to bring folks into the fold and to say, listen, quilting, number one, is a tradition that is deep in our, <laughs> in the black community. And so by, by coming into these rooms and making panels, quilt panels for the ones that we love, black and brown folks, we're creating a tapestry and a pattern that can be shown to the community that shows, yes, we are impacted by HIV and AIDS. You too can be impacted, but we don't want you to be. We want you to know the history, to know these faces and these people, and to know that they were loved, they are to be honored, and their lives are to be celebrated because this isn't just a moving funeral. These are mothers, these are fathers, these are lovers, these are aunts, uncles, and children. This is our family. And so through the Call My Name program, that's just one amazing initiative and one part of the Change Your Pattern campaign that will allow us to heal ourselves and to be seen
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: At this point, y'all know Nathan, okay? And if you don't, just go back and listen to episode 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> he is literally on every episode. And Nathan is the HIV Prevention's Program Manager for NASEM. NASUM is the National AIDS Education and Services for Minorities. Now, take a listen to what Nathan had to say about how we really need to reach the people.
0: So, how we're doing it with our work is going, and uh, we call it outreach, and outreach is the uh, perfect term analogy for it. So, we go places where other people won't go. We go places we can have testing outside of some of the bathhouses and testing outside of the uh, places that they go to buy sex toys and things like that like not know really the names of them but we go to them <laughs> i'm not trying to do a commercial for them but you know where they are you know who they are but then also messaging you know we know that we're in this social digital age and so both gilead and Beeb just released fifty thousand dollar grants specifically targeted for monkey pox awareness and so my boss said well what would we do with the fifty thousand dollars how will we utilize that to be more effective and they were talking about oh well we could put stuff on our website and then I was talking to a, a um, reporter, he was doing a story on Montybox and was A.W. and me and as I started talking it came out that where we should be having these conversations are where the people that are having these behaviors. So Grinder, Adam for Adam, Jack the sex sites, if you look at what people are having more than one partner, if you look at what people who are having unprotected sex if you're looking for people that are on the sex circuit, we know where they are, we know where they congregate, we know you know, where they utilize their self-expression. Why are we not utilizing those same platforms to reach them? You know, there were agencies that said, you well, we can't reach men who have sex with men, but you took a, a grant to, to reach them, but then you didn't reach it because you don't want to go where they are. And so a lot of this is grassroots outreach where even in my staff, my staff is predominantly gay. And so we did the birthday last year, which is like this big hip hop concert. And we were doing outreach there and they were like, but how am I gonna go approach this big burly heterosexual man and say, to say, well, you get paid. We get paid for outreach and we don't have the opportunity to discriminate and then pick and choose who we speak to. And and so part of what this work is, is that it's work that you have to be built for. You have to be built to be able to put your ego aside, to put your personality aside and realize that you're out here on a mission. It's a ministry from my perspective because I'm reaching out trying to save their souls, whether that soul is mental, whether that soul is physical, you know, because one, HIV is a biopsychosocial disorder. It doesn't just affect the individual's body. It's their mind. It's their social air space that they inhabit. So we provide methods and coping skills for all of those different um, intersectionalities that they exist in.
1: Nathan is like our own personal co-host on this podcast, okay?
2: <laughs> 100% he is, he is. And, you know, I'll tell you, he's, he's really talking about outreach, meeting people where they're at. And he's really focused there kind of around the sex community. But, you know, you can apply that to the drug community, in the intravenous drug community, on the streets, in the alleys, in the houses, in the crack houses. So we need to meet people where they're at and provide them with that information. So... Nathan really encapsulated what we're doing to make a a difference.
1: And I love the approach, especially when it comes to the social and digital marketing approach. Outreach is an old school word, but there's new approaches to how we can leverage an old school term like outreach. You think of outreach, you think of a flyer, you think of a promo, maybe going to a party, right? But there are places on the Internet where you know these folks are. And so why not reach them there as well, especially if you're getting a grant to do so. We can think creatively as to how we continue to destigmatize and how we continue to reduce shame and remove all the shame and get to a place where, yo, there's some normalizing that has to be done here. And it can be done through outreach and it can be done through marketing. And, you know, Dwayne, your work as a photographer for, I don't want to, you know, decades. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm
2: old. I've been around. A couple decades. (laughs) A few
1: decades. (laughs) Your work over the last few decades with your photography has really been a part of that as you've been a part of the Greater Than AIDS campaign. Testing makes us stronger. HIV stops with us. HIV stops with me. These campaigns have been integral in continuing to destigmatize and reduce shame when it comes to HIV AIDS.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think... And we know uh, because we have data uh, from the results of these campaigns that we need to figure out ways of generating a really broad and enthusiastic ownership in Black communities to fight HIV. So if that means creating a campaign such as HIV Stops With Me, again, meet people where we're at and, and we come up with creative ways to engage folks, to educate them, to make them aware so that we can end end this virus.
1: And I think such a big part of it, to your point, is being so intentional about the funding. When I attended the Saving Ourselves Symposium, one thing that really stood out to me were the conversations around where the funding goes. And when we talk about meeting people where they're at, oftentimes the larger nonprofit organizations Get the funding because so much of the outcomes are based on the number of people you reach or how many people saw the campaign. And these larger organizations, just due to nothing else other than budget, have an opportunity to reach more people. But when we talk about impact and when we talk about reaching people on the ground, there are so many smaller, just as impactful nonprofits who may not have the reach, but my God, the work that they're doing in these rural areas driving 90 minutes to give someone you know pep or prep or educating them or doing a workshop or doing a training and then driving 90 minutes back to their town right that's the work that's the work that needs funding not just the larger campaigns and i think there's so much of the solutions are resting with some of these larger funding groups to make sure that they also are funding the smaller organizations that are doing the work with the people on the ground.
2: Yeah, well, what you're really talking about is the fact that these foundations and more national types of groups really need to reengage engage uh, in the HIV response by prioritizing that new funding for Black-led organizations and initiatives. And these larger pharmaceutical and biotech companies should earmark a percentage of their profits for unrestricted funding to Black-led organizations initiatives.
1: What did you say? Unrestricted?
2: Unrestricted, because that's where we go, because when you talk about the money's given and they expect a certain number of impressions, which means this, or a certain number of people that see the campaign, well, yeah, you can put an ad or a PSA on the local TV station, and it might reach A million people over a period of time, but it might not be reaching our people. It might, the black and brown people may not really be seeing that message because they don't watch that TV station or listen to that radio station or they're at work when those messages are being played. So it is critical that unrestricted funding is there so that people can create events and engagement opportunities. That work for them. They have the answers. We just need to give them the funding and to have the leadership there to help guide them through a process of creating something that's going to be responsive to their needs and better their preferences.
1: And there have been some really wonderful campaigns that have emerged with the goal of destigmatizing, educating, reducing shame, reducing harm. You know, there's the U Equals U campaign, which I learned about on this journey that I've been on, uh, you know, which is so incredibly important. It is U Equals U stands for undetectable equals untransmittable. Trend-
2: yes, yes. I got it right? Yes, you did. I got it right. And that's, yes, you did. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. That is so it's such an important campaign because it really is helping to break down the stigma around HIV.
1: I love it. I didn't even know what U equals U was, so I'm so glad I got it right. Because um, I think it's just so important people know that if your viral load is low today, this is how far science has come, right? Everybody's doing the AIDS walks and everybody's wondering where the money is going. It's going to this, the science that now if you're, you can get your viral load so low that you can't transmit it if you take your medications as prescribed, right?
2: You know, my viral load is undetectable. And, you know, I'm blessed that I, I have not had any health issues related to HIV in the 26 years that I that the virus has been living with me, because, you know, the virus is living with me. I'm not really living with HIV, just to let you know. I've had no problems, because I have been um, fortunate enough to have, you know, wonderful, a wonderful, life-saving treatment plan to keep me safe.
1: And another campaign like You Equals You was the here in Chicago, the AIDS Foundation of Chicago, had the Prep for Love campaign, which intentionally centered pleasure and intimacy over traditional fear-based tactics that are commonly found, right, in HIV STI prevention. And Elijah McKinney, who was an influencer here in Chicago, was part of that campaign as an ambassador. And that was beautiful. The campaign was beautiful because We should not be afraid of intimacy. You should not be afraid of centering pleasure and talking about in relation to HIV. And I think all these campaigns, all of these initiatives are helping to get us to zero new infection. It's one foot in front of the other, you know, have another new medication and continue to make advancements. And I think that we're living in a time where the opportunity to live and thrive with HIV is today. So when this journey started with me going to San Francisco to cover the 35th anniversary of the AIDS Memorial Quilt, there was just so much that I did not know. And the more that I learned, the more that I wanted to share with y'all, because I care so deeply about Black folks and Black queer folks in particular. This journey of talking about Black HIV in the South and how we got here, where we are today, is so crucial to our survival. How much do you care about Black liberation? How much do you care about our freedom? Because HIV is killing us. This is a solvable problem. We just have to care enough to leave the stigma behind. So I asked our guests, all the ones you've come to love on this podcast, what is our call to action? How can we as individuals live in our everyday lives, in our homes, in our cities, in our communities, how can we actually create a change? So we'll hear from Daphina Ward, the Executive Director at the Southern AIDS Coalition, Deidre Speaks, HIV Advocate and Public Speaker, Nathan Townsend, HIV Prevention Programs Manager for NASEM, Jimmy Gibbs, the National CFAR Coalition Chair, and Jada Harris, the Program Manager for the Call My Names Project with the National AIDS Memorial on what we can actually do to end this crisis in the South.
3: I would say first and foremost, find out where the work is happening in your organization, in your community. Find out what organizations are serving and supporting people living with HIV, doing work on HIV prevention. Give them some money. That would be a great thing. If you don't have money, give them your time. You know what say If you can't be a check writer, be a cheerleader. You know, be a resource, be a support, and support those organizations. Be an encouragement for them and a resource. That's one. Two, find out about criminalization in your community and where it stands. Find out about whether there's any type of anti-LGBTQ legislation happening. You know, in sub- many southern states, we're seeing young trans folk and trans families being attacked. Find out if your state has anti-discrimination laws that protect communities most impacted by HIV. Find out what is happening and see how you can be a voice to make things better. It is not just about working with HIV organizations and supporting them. It's also about making sure that we have a landscape in our communities where folks can live without being ostracized and being criminalized. That's so critically important. So my call to action is always educate yourself and then tell somebody else. And that's what we need folks to do. I came up with this equation and it says, minutes plus or minus moments equals a lifetime. And it takes a a minute literally to complete a task. So, you know, take a minute. Sometimes, you know, I used to say when I did my presentations in front of colleges, you know, it takes a minute to get lucky, 60 minutes, but it might be three, four minutes to have sex take a moment to put on a condom if you do or you don't or put on a barrier it could equal a lifetime of all kinds of things whether it's positive or negative um lifetime memories whether you come up with an std or hiv but it's just a memory that you take and you live and you learn and you leave with love and make sure that someone else learns the lesson right along with you
0: how i feel that a lot of this really boils down to self-control, self-esteem, how we are self-actualized, and many of us are broken and we look for love. You know, you say you look for love in all the wrong places, and too many times then we realize that the first place that we need to look for love is in the mirror. The first place that we need to seek love is within ourselves. We have to change our behaviors. We have to change the way we think. It's our behaviors towards our own selves. We have to start valuing ourselves as assets and not just claim empty affirmations. We have to believe these narratives. And a lot of it is self-destructive things that we've been telling ourselves over and over again. Some of our biggest naysayers are ourselves, you know? So it's reprogramming. That's the word, we have to reprogram ourselves.
4: You may not like the HIV cause, you may not like that, but Jesus called us to be uncomfortable about doing the work that he calls us to do, which is to care for one another, take care of one another. So you have to look at it and say, what is God calling us to do? Berate each other? He's waiting on us to do this work. God could care less about all that stuff. God cares about your heart, your soul, your mind, and what are you doing for each other? This is what the Christian
5: movement should look like. Well, we call it change the pattern because we want people to look at things differently, do things in a different way. Lots of time we put the pressure on the health advocates and the medical community and the scientific community to do something about what we call this state of emergency HIV, AIDS, the black community. But at the same time, there is a way for those of us who work in the arts to do our part and, and our part is to show to show what is happening and this is a way to show what is happening and for people to say i want to make sure that my names from my community are represented so we can see because as much as it is an activist tool and it is an educational tool it's also an incredible art piece
1: So Duane, it's been great sharing this podcast with you. I'm so glad that you were my co-host for this series, Black HIV in the South. How did we get here? Anything you wanna share with the listeners as we close out?
2: Yeah, you know, this has been a blessing and an opportunity to talk to family. We can each do our part. We might volunteer for an organization. We might talk to a friend about something you learned make a panel for the AIDS quilt. You know, there are so many different things that you can do, and you can visit blackaids.org, changethepattern.org, or the Southern AIDS Coalition to look for different opportunities to be engaged, to find resources and share resources. At least have the knowledge so that you can make the decision around what is best for your body and for your health. So I'm optimistic about the future. There are amazing people that are doing the work, and we are worthy of love, respect, and honor.
1: Thanks, Dwayne. I think that was great. Thank you. Black HIV in the South is an exclusive production of The Cube. The show is produced by Latrice Sampson Richards of STS Productions and edited by Experience J of Just Listen Media. Follow us on social at The Cube app and check out The Cube to discover the best BIPOC and QTPOC podcasts.